Welcome everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters and connections in the ever-expanding universe that revolves around Stephen King's Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. And you can buy merch at store.twoguystothedarktowercame.com. In this episode, we'll cover Dr. Sleep, Prefatory Matters. Let's start the show! A few years after the events of The Shining, Danny Torrance and his mother, Wendy, are living in Tampa when Danny experiences a strange visit. Dick Halloran comes up from Key West to give Danny some tips on dealing with unwanted visitors. Elsewhere, a young abuse survivor takes revenge on men using an unusual power she has. This draws the attention of a group called the True Knot, who ask her to join them. Finally, a grown Dan Torrance has fallen into alcoholism and has a hard time remembering events of the previous night. He makes a decision to help himself, but is haunted by the child he leaves behind. Jay, we are tackling a new book, and the first time this book was mentioned was in 2009 when King said he had an idea for a sequel to The Shining. And on December 1st of that year, 2009, King posted a poll on his official website asking visitors to vote on which book he should write next, Dr. Sleep, the title of the sequel to The Shining, or the next Dark Tower novel, which didn't have a name yet, but would become The Wind Through the Keyhole. At the end of that vote, Dr. Sleep won a close vote, 5,861 votes to the wind through the keyholes 5812. Despite that vote, King <laughs> actually had Wind Through the Keyhole published first. It came out almost three years later in February 2012. Part of the reason for that is he had finished Dr. Sleep but had to do a pretty hard edit, he said. So uh, that's why Wind Through the Keyhole came first. I'm glad that he wrote both. Absolutely. I, I love the Wind Through the Keyhole. That was one of my favorite Dark Tower books. It is a good one. So this was published in September of 2013, 35 years after The Shining, and in 2013 it won the Bram Stoker Award for Best Novel. Uh, Audible named the audiobook of Dr. Sleep the audiobook of the year. Ooh. And then just three years ago, in 2019, there was a movie adaptation directed by Mike Flanagan, who directed Gerald's Game, which we covered on a bonus podcast. As our listeners know, the Mike Flanagan adaptation of Gerald's Game was excellent. So I am now looking forward to seeing the adaptation of Dr. Sleep even more. Wow. I have not yet seen the movie. So you have not seen the movie. Have you read this book before, Jay? I haven't. So this is totally new content for me. Uh, the shoe's on the other foot <laughs> for us uh, on this one. Um, I'm looking forward to exploring this novel for the first time with you, Sean. So far, I dig where King is going, and um, it's nice to see how Danny ended up. Yeah, yeah. I read this book a month after it came out, so back in 2013, because I'm an old forgetful man. I don't remember all of the details. I do remember my general feeling about the book as well as some of the key beats in the book, but I will remain spoiler-free as we discuss this. And I did watch the movie when it came out, and... Um, it's got Jay and Sean favorite Ewan McGregor. Yeah. As a grown Dan Torrance. So um, that's a good sign, in my opinion. And also a Jay favorite of Rebecca Ferguson. That's a Sean favorite, too. Oh, there you go. All right. So we got lots of favorites in this movie adaptation. And we're not even here to talk about the movie yet. But... No, but something to look forward to. 
So let's get into this. Uh, this is interesting because King is not known for writing sequels. And so we've got one here for one of his most famous novels. And you thought it would be interesting if we could point out some of the connections and continuations from The Shining as we go through this book. I don't think there's going to be a one-to-one -one connection on everything. This is its own story, but obviously it's going to draw on some of the events from that earlier book. Yeah, obviously some of the characters continue from The Shining to Dr. Sleep. And one of the more interesting things is that this book starts to expand on the psychic phenomena and powers from The Shining. So in The Shining, we kind of get Dick Halloran's perspective, and it's only what he knows, and that's only sort of what he learned from his grandmother. Mm. So we know of one other person besides Dan Torrance who has this power. And from Halloran's perspective, Danny is more powerful than Dick. Yeah. That's it. And we get a sense of how this power works or what it could afford the user of this power, but it's an inexperienced user of the power in Danny, and he's still very young too. So this book gives us a chance to see what can an adult do with this power? What can somebody who's had a lifetime to practice its use do with this power? And it also starts to give us some ideas about how maybe there are different, not just levels of strength, but perhaps variations. Mm. And we're introduced to this idea of steam in this section of the book and how it can be transferred from one person to another. And it's something that other people can detect in others. So just like Halloran can detect when somebody else has the shine, there are other people who are in this group of the true knot who can detect when somebody has something. It either is the shining of a different variety or it's another similar power. And the shining is just one of like, maybe it's like a spectrum mm. of extrasensory or superpowers or something like that. And they are all just different ice cream flavors. <laughs> Yeah, because the young girl who's introduced in chapter two, her name is Andrea Steiner. She's the one who has taken an older man to a movie theater and is going to scar him mm -hmm. uh, with a rattlesnake symbol on his cheek for being interested in a, a younger woman. She has the ability to whisper in this man's ear, sleep, and he instantly falls asleep. And the members of the True Knot who have detected this, detected a power coming from her say, oh, that's interesting. We could use that. Mm -hmm. let's get her on board into our group. So it's not quite the shining as we're used to it or seen it, but it expands it. The other thing that's introduced is, well, two things. One, Dick Halloran is still alive. So yeah. it's, a, it's a few years later. And, um, but he provides Danny with an additional power of the shining, this ability to create a lockbox in his mind where he can trap these unwanted spirits from the Overlook who have continued to haunt him. And so there's this additional power that Dick teaches Danny, which might have been useful to have a few years earlier, but okay. Yeah. Now, now, now he's got it like, hey, here's what you do. Picture this lockbox, take this ghost that's scaring you and put it in that lockbox, turn the key and you'll be done with it. It's fun when Dan asks, well, what happens to them? Do they die? And Dick's like, do you care? And Danny's like, mm -hmm. oh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. It's a good question because it's just another way of saying it doesn't matter. No. Yeah, I love the fact that the ghosts from the Overlook persist and still haunt the characters of this book. In some ways, it's frustrating because I, I liked how The Shining ended in what I felt was a, a clean way, that the destruction of the hotel meant either the destruction or the disintegration mm. of 
whatever ghostly power had accumulated within its walls. And therefore, all of that evil and all of that power had dissipated as so much gas. Or steam, if you will. Or steam, if you will. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. But here, specific ghosts keep showing up. And with this new skill set that Halloran gives to Danny, he has a way to combat that. And like you said, that would have been really nice to know when he was five and in the hotel and he could have seen the guy just in a dog costume. Boom, lockbox. Oh, there's this woman's in the tub. Lockbox. Oh, the fire hose is coming after me. Lockbox. And by the end of the book, it would just be Danny just clenching his fists to his temples, screaming, lockbox. And then the hotel would have blown up. Yeah. It's interesting because one of the things, not that we didn't like about The Shining, but that we had issues with was what exactly was the Overlook Hotel's goal in trying to kill Danny? Mm -hmm. And now that King has introduced this idea of humans with powers who release this steam, this life force, this essence in some way that can revitalize somebody, revitalize a, a person or feed a person, it's almost as if, oh, if it kills Danny and he's a powerful creature with the shine, the shining could go into the overlook. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't really explained very well in the shining, but we get it here in these early chapters. Another thing that I thought we should talk about in this early section of the book is overcoming trauma. For example, the owners of the overlook overcome the trauma of the ownership of the hotel itself by paying off Wendy, right? Yeah, Jay, I just finished editing our last episode of The Shining, and one of the things I said was, okay, this ends sort of in a happy way, but like, are there any consequences for Wendy and Danny? The fact that this hotel blew up and you would think that the owners would be very upset that the caretaker that they hired just let this explode. And we get in this chapter, we're told like, oh yeah, the owners want to be done with this and are willing to just sort of pay Wendy to be quiet and go away. <laughs> and I wondered if in the before the play that we discussed for a bonus episode, we talked about how the original owner was losing money on the Overlook. Yep. The next owners were losing money on the Overlook. There's no reason to think that the owners of the Overlook when The Shining takes place were making money hand over fist. This actually could have been a blessing for them that Jack yeah. blew up the hotel and maybe they're just like, yeah, I'm glad to be rid of it. Let's just give this widow some money and be done with it because it's more pain than it's worth. What with caretakers killing their families on a regular. <laughs> Yeah, they probably got a nice insurance settlement themselves. Yep. And they just gave a portion of that to Wendy. So everybody goes away <laughs> happy with a little bit of cash in their pockets, and there's no more overlook haunting them literally anymore. Right. And I guess that's how that works. But this book subsequently answers that question. Yeah. What were the consequences? Apparently, there were none. In fact, there was a reward. <laughs> Thanks for destroying the hotel. Yes. Now, this book is also unique in that it's a sequel. We get to see the consequences of what happens mm. to somebody who's gone through a horrifying event. You know, we really don't get that in many other King books, other than something like it, when we see the kids grow up and they're still dealing with the trauma of what happened when they were younger. But here we get to see what Danny and Wendy are like. So Wendy is physically battered and injured from her injury she sustained from Jack beating her, but she's also still somewhat haunted by the events of that. And Danny is absolutely haunted by what happened at the Overlook. Yeah. Like there are literal ghosts who show up in his bathroom to scare him. And so it's not anything that they just sort of got over once the hotel blew up. 
And Wendy is in an interesting middle position in terms of these ghosts because she actually saw ghosts and things like that and interacted with them in the Overlook. And when Danny sees Mrs. Massey in their home in Florida in the bathroom, Wendy sees the physical evidence of Mrs. Massey's presence in the bathroom. So she can't and never would doubt what Danny tells her that, yeah, the, the dead rotting woman from the Overlook is here in our home, in our bathroom. And she refused to even go into and use that bathroom that night Yep, because there was clearly a ghost there. Right. So it's not only the characters from The Shining that are sort of overcoming this trauma, but the woman that we're introduced to in chapter two, Andy Steiner, she has this trauma of the sexual assault from her father yep. that she's dealing with. And the way that she is dealing with is using her powers to make men fall asleep and then physically scarring them. And this is how she gets some way of feeling more in control because being abused by her father made her feel powerless in some way. Mm -hmm. And so this is a way of turning the tables and dealing with the trauma. So King's not just limited to that use of trauma when it comes to the original characters of The Shining. All these men seem to be stand-ins for her father who she can't go back in time and get revenge on. Right. So she's getting like mini revenges on her father. Yep. Um, it's also worth noting that Danny is worried about overcoming the sins of the father. Like, don't grow up to be an alcoholic like Jack and like Jack's father. And there's a line, there was a dangerous dog inside his head. Sober, he could keep it on a leash. When he drank, the leash disappeared. Sooner or later, I'll kill someone. This is adult Dan thinking about every time he comes home drunk or wakes up with a hangover, what did I do yep. last night? Because it was just all blackout. And he looks down at his bloody knuckles and his busted up face. And is somebody dead? Like, am I just waiting for the police to knock on the door? He's already in a pretty bad way. So the sins of the father that young Dan was worried about seem to have continued on to adult Dan. Yeah, despite the fact in the first chapter when he's a young boy saying like, I'll never drink like my father, when we see him in the third chapter and he's grown, he's obviously become an alcoholic. He's literally homeless and he's on the streets and mm -hmm. he's stealing money from drug addicts and <laughs> making really poor decisions. And it's a dangerous cycle that he's in because that quote that you just said, where he said that, you know, when he's sober, he could keep that dangerous dog on a leash. But when he drinks, the leash disappears. He's worried he's going to kill somebody. But he also says in this chapter that one of the reasons he drinks is because it suppresses the shining. Yeah. And he's less likely to have visions or see dead people because he can see dead people. And so a lot of what the reasons he's drinking is to overcome the trauma of The Shining, but then when he does that, it causes a new set of trauma. So he's got this cycle that it's going to be hard for him to break. And you get a sense at the end of this chapter that maybe this horrible scene where he leaves this woman and her infant child in the apartment after stealing their money, like maybe that's the thing that's going to cause it to break. Maybe that will break that cycle. Yeah. Is the expression distinction without a difference or difference without a distinction? <laughs> I... I or what's the difference between those? Um, is adult Dan an alcoholic who's using the fact that booze suppresses the shining as an excuse? Or is he somebody who must be drunk to suppress the shining to avoid the madness that it will induce? Yep. Therefore, he lives the life of an alcoholic. 
I think that might be an important question to examine over time as we learn more about what is motivating Dan to drink and what might be motivating him to not. But I think that ultimately, when he does drink, he's destroying his life. Yeah. That's why I say there's no distinction here. It's He is effectively living the life of an alcoholic. Right. And it shed some light on Jack Torrance in The Shining, right? When Dick's unable to see into his head, his head is mm-hmm. sort of blocked off because he drinks so much, right? And we wondered before whether or not Jack had any part of The Shining or not. Yeah. Anyhow, interesting stuff. We're only a few chapters into this book and King has set up some interesting ideas. And I think the idea of trauma and alcoholism are going to be continued throughout. How about some Dark Tower Thinnies, Jay? I will throw into the Dark Tower Thinny category the connection to both the Dark Tower and the stand that there is a reference to on the side of the road outside some nothing town. Topeka, maybe. Oh, throw that dead body in the Takuro spirit and be done with it, right? Exactly. Topeka is a key city in the stand for sure. And it's also the same city from the stand that Roland and his quartet travel through. That is a much stronger thinny than mine, which is that the first two scenes take place in 1981. And if you add up one, nine, eight, and one, the digits in 1981, you get the number 19, Jay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know how much I love those. Yes. Sean, did you find any yucking it ups? In this section of the book? Yes, you referred to it a little bit earlier. Uh, After Danny sees the ghost and he says, I won't go in there, Wendy goes in to look to see what's in the bathroom. And she sees a discolored smear on the toilet seat and another on the shower curtain. Excrement was her first thought, but shit wasn't yellowish purple. She looked more closely and saw bits of flesh and decayed skin. And my only experience with Ghosts and poltergeists are really from Ghostbusters, and this is nothing like the ectoplasm that I see. That seems sort of fun, right? <laughs> it's slimer, it's slime, it's green. At worst, you think it's like snot, but this is much more yucky. Yellowish purple excrement looking stuff and flesh and decayed skin. Not great, Bob. You know when shit might be yellowish purple? <laughs> it's when you eat too many minions. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Jay? Yucking it up? Yeah, I got one. This is probably, I'll just say what it is. When Dan vomits into an unflushed toilet, the line is Dan lunged, fell on his knees, and spewed a great flood of brownish yellow stuff on top of a floating turd. We have called out some pretty disgusting things in our yucking it up section. We have read far more disgusting things throughout the series of books we've covered. This is one of the most just unacceptably gross things that I think I've come across. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. It's just bad. I just want to add one more thing. Dan then tries to flush the toilet and the water starts to rise, which (laughs) (laughs) it gets really uh, brutal there for a second. Yeah, it's a precarious moment for everybody involved, including me reading about it. Yes. Well, if that didn't scare you away, maybe you're the type of person who should be a patron of our show. And you can become a patron of our show by visiting patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. And there you can get access to exclusive Patreon content, including our discussion of Before the Play, a previously unpublished introduction to The Shining. 
which is one of our latest bonus episodes, as well as some short stories that we've been covering from the book Everything's Eventual. That's what we've been discussing lately. So uh, patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. And we'd also like to thank our newest patron, Christopher D., and he joined at the level of Cotet. Very nice. Thank you, Christopher. Welcome to the Cotet. Sean, is it time for fun stuff? Certainly. Certainly. So when Dick introduces the idea of the lockbox to Danny, he does it through a tale of his family. And he talks about his grandparents and there's his grandmother. And then he has a grandfather who's um, very mean and he didn't like to be around. And I thought it was interesting that Dick uses a similar setup as they use in the stand with the idea of the white and the black. So he calls his grandmother the white, that she represented the good side of the family and, and good use of the shine. And then his grandfather, he, he said, was the black because he was evil in some way and somebody who uh, molested Dick, I think, even. And so um, yeah, I, I just thought that that was sort of an interesting way of, of putting it. And again, it's not only the stand in that discussed that way, right? The white and the black, but I think also in Salem's lot as well. And in the Dark Tower, Roland talks about the coming of the white. Yes. Good call out. Um, I alluded to this earlier when Wendy wouldn't go into the bathroom after she found the Ghostbusters goop <laughs> in the bathroom. So she pees in the sink because sometimes the sink is better. <laughs> the exact line was, she ended up using the sink after all. Yeah, well, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, right? Exactly. So after Dan leaves the woman and her infant child, he doesn't want to stay in the homeless shelter. And so he spends a night on the streets. And specifically, he spends the night beneath the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge in North Carolina, I believe he is. And I wanted to point out that King favorite John D. McDonald wrote a book called The Executioners, which was reprinted as Cape Fear and was also adapted into two different movies, both of which are really good. And so it's not a direct John McDonald connection, but it's, it's there nonetheless. Yeah, you got to work just a little harder for it. Yeah. Um, Dan was not just avoiding the homeless shelter, but he was avoiding his actual home. Oh, that's true. Because he owed back rent. That is correct. Um, the last item of fun stuff I have is, I like how this book gives us a new take on the vampire genre. Hmm. I'm guessing that these vampires, as I'm calling them in the True Knot group, feed on The Shining. Mm. And this turning ceremony that they call it is very much like when Anne Rice's vampires take a victim and turn that victim into a vampire. So this all feels very vampire-ish. I'll say it's moderately fascinating. I look forward to uh, further discussion about this as we continue on with this book. Excellent. Jay, I think it's time to talk about what other things we're learning about besides Stephen King in these past few weeks. Shall I kick us off? Indeed. All right. Well, I recently finished this wonderful series called Night Sky. It's an Amazon original, and it stars Sissy Spacek and J.K. Simmons. And the show is about... The show is about Franklin and Irene York, a couple who years ago discovered a mysterious chamber buried in their backyard. And that's all I'll say about the details of the show, because discovering what actually goes on in the show is most of the fun. It's chock full of great actors. It's wonderful storytelling. And there's just enough mystery 
to keep you wanting more. And the only bad news that I have to add to my recommendation here is that while this season of just eight episodes feels like a complete story, it does set up a really nice way for this to continue to a second and possibly more seasons. But I just learned yesterday that the show is canceled and there will never be a subsequent season. Well, that's too bad. I still recommend it. It's still worth eight hours of your time because it's that good. But however you think the show ends, that's all you're going to get. All right. I have this on my list. Sissy Spacek, a Stephen King alum. Yeah. And J.K. Simmons, always fun. Best known for his J. Jonah Jameson appearances in Spider-Man movies. I mean, that's how I best know him. I mean, he did <laughs> he did win an Academy Award for Whiplash, but yes, J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, yeah. Jameson. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's that. All right. My Other Worlds in These is a gift that I got from my co-host. It is a book, part of the Penguin Classics Marvel Collection. I got the Captain America version. There are three books out now, one on Captain America, one on Black Panther, and one on The Amazing Spider-Man. And it's my understanding that there are more to come. But these are reprints of key comics of those characters contextualized with essays and other writings so you can understand how these characters changed over time, their importance to pop culture, how they fit into the Marvel Universe and the bigger picture. And they've gotten some scholars, some well-known comics folks, as well as some really high-quality printing of these books. And I can't wait to dig into this. Um, as familiar as I am with these characters, I'm looking forward to reading some of these essays about how people see these characters in the, in the bigger light outside of just their stories. So that's the Penguin Classics Marvel Collection. Sounds wonderful. Whoever got you that book is a true hero. He certainly is. He certainly is. And I appreciate it. That's going to be all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media are available in the show notes. Check out our merch at store.twoguystothedarktowercame.com. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Next episode, join us as we cover Dr. Sleep, Part 1, Abra. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening. All that you love will be carried away and those, those were, were the, the good, good old days. Where are the monies? I need the monies. I'm Fat Tony. We're here for the monies. All the world's enemies. <laughs> You don't pronounce that abra? I pronounce it abra as an abra, abra, cadabra. I want to reach out and grab you. Abra, abra, cadabra. Abra, cadabra. <laughs>